Good morning, welcome to Storyline. I'm in the dark, which is excellent. Great, hi, uh, welcome to the gallery. My name is Paul Knapp. I'm the programming director here at Storyline and it's good to be together. I just have a couple quick announcements. One, we've got lots of opportunities to participate in the gathering, especially during the summer. So if you wanna get involved, uh, make sure you fill out a connect card, even if you filled out one before and just say, hey, 
I want to get involved, whether that's in Kidport or um, in the tech booth or in setup and teardown. We could especially use some help uh, during the summer. And in August, when we're giving our Kidport a break, we're going to give Kidport a month off in August. So if you'd like to help me out with that, I'm going to be running around chasing the kids everywhere. So um, if you want to help me with that in the four weeks in August, that would be excellent. Another couple other things. We have our baptism service coming up at the end of July. If that's something that you'd like to participate in, um, come reach out to Mike, uh, Jen, or I, and we can get you connected with that. The date on there is actually wrong. So look at that date really, really hard, and now forget it, okay? The date is July 31st, not July 24th. So um, we'd love to see you uh, at Warren and Marcy White's house. That's the address there. Uh, we're going we're gonna to have our baptism service there. Anything else, just fill out a Connect card. We'll keep you connected one email a week, um, especially with some service opportunities. Outside of that, have a wonderful Sunday. feels like it's right up on me and I can just feel it like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless and I don't know if it's gonna stop I mean that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever gonna stop yeah well you do have a nail in your head it is not about the nail are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there. Stop trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing. You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. No, see, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, out. you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just, sometimes it's like there's this achy, I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. 
sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on! Ow. If you would just don't try to see things my Oh, good morning, Storyline. Here I am in the dark. Oh, thank you so much. Um, I just, for the record, I cannot relate to that video at all, all right? So sometimes the problem in life uh, should be obvious, right? And other times, not so much. Uh, you, maybe you don't see it coming. But this is the situation that we're going to be looking at um, in our passage from the book of John this morning as we continue through our summer read um, of the biography of Jesus um, as recorded by uh, one of his followers, um, John. But before we jump in, I just want to say that I realized, like last summer when we read through the book of Luke, that at some point we can't summarize everything that we've been covering. This isn't a series that's just two, two or three weeks. It's going to go the whole summer. And so I was ready to give up on kind of trying to review what we've been covering the last few weeks and so i was just prepared i was just going to go for it today just going to jump in but then a storyliner a, a young storyliner a teenager in fact sent me a question and they said mike do you think that this is a good summary of what you've shared so far and then they wrote this john one god is here god is on our side and he's asking us with his first words what do we want John 2 in his first miracle God turns the water of religion into the wine of grace but only those who are sharing the grace really experience the miracle John 3 with his first invitation Jesus gives us offers us the chance to be born again into a living hope trusting God as our father that this presence of a flourishing future in our present transforms our real everyday lives from the challenge to earn love into the chance to share it which is the abundant life i read that email and i was so impressed right i'm like wow somebody's staying awake it's amazing so um i also realized i did not say anything nearly that well at all so of course i replied by admitting yes that's exactly what i said so now, I know what you're thinking, why isn't that kid speaking? And the, the answer is because what I'm doing up here is hard, people. This is super complicated, and he's taking driver's ed. So you're stuck with me. So for real, the feedback and input, as always, continue to make this a conversation. I love that. I think that's what's best for us. I'm up here, like I've said before, just kind of wondering out loud. And the, the way we stay in discovery mode as a community is because of the give and take and the back and forth and all that you share about what God is doing in your life. So thank you for that. Please keep that coming. This morning we're going to see another first as Jesus confronts his real first problem. And his solution is surprising to say the least because the person he encounters, she knows she has a problem, but she just doesn't see the nail. So with that, let's jump in. This is a picture of the Choloteca Bridge. It's in Honduras. And it was built in the 1990s, I think the early 1990s. It was actually a gift from the government of J Japan to the people of Honduras. And it made a dramatic difference in the lives of the people surrounding that area. It brought in new business, um, new goods and services, and new jobs. It was an enormously successful solution to a huge problem. And then Hurricane Mitch hit in 1998, killed 11,000 people in Central America, 7,000 in Honduras alone. It did more than $4 billion in damage. Now, miraculously, the Choloteca Bridge survived. Like, not a scratch, no damage whatsoever. And yet, it was rendered absolutely useless afterwards now why how can that be well today it's known in honduras as el puente a ninguna parte which translates to the bridge to nowhere and here's why 
the storm left the bridge in place, but it moved the river. Now, I've used this illustration before in talks with teachers and youth workers and even a couple organizations, and everybody has the same reaction, like, oh my gosh, that's like my life or <laughs> our organization or whatever. Like, we, have all, we all know this feeling, right? Like, you plan so well, you work so hard, you give so much, only to find that the bridge you built isn't going to get you there. Like, the solution was solid until the river moved. The problem shifted. So why do we so often fail to see the real problem in life? Why do we build bridges to nowhere? You know, someone once asked Albert Einstein, if you had an hour to save the world from some extraordinary catastrophe, what would you do? And he thought about it for a second, and then he said, I'd spend 55 minutes trying to understand the problem and five minutes explaining the solution. And I don't know about you, but I usually reverse those two things, right? And his real point was the real problem, capital P, is often much harder to figure out than we think. So one of the questions that I want to ask this morning is, what if our biggest problem in life or with life is not our problems as much as that we just don't understand what our problem is? Does this have anything to do with all of the bridges built to nowhere? So every week we talk about this thing that we've called Jesus and his gospel of grace. And we consider how trusting in him, how trusting in the gospel of grace could change everything. This good news that there's nothing we can do to get God on our side because through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, God is already on our side. Well, recently, one of you sent me a, a really super interesting insight to this. I had never thought about it this way. This person wrote, grace is actually bad news before it's good news. And I thought, that, that's really interesting. And they went on. The bad news is everyone, everywhere, every day, all the time, always, in all ways, needs God's grace. And I think that's kind of true. It's, it's hard news to discover that in spite of our best ideas, our best efforts and intentions, our most beautiful bridges, all of our striving can't get us what we really ultimately long for. What Jesus describes later in John as the abundant life, a life of peace and joy, of purpose and love. But here is the good news. Grace is exactly what God is offering us. God is giving his grace to everyone, everywhere, every day, all the time, always, in all ways. The question is, why don't we accept it? Or why do we often refuse it, forget it, ignore it, reject it? Maybe it's because, as Einstein implied, we've misunderstood our problem. We feel the discomfort in life, but we don't see the need. We, we look at the bridges that we've built and we think, what could go wrong? Well, maybe there's more to it than that. And I think that's what we're going to see Jesus very strongly implying this morning in, in the story that we're going to look at. Now, the larger question that we're asking this summer throughout the Gospel of John is, how does John's story of the life of Jesus help us not just to believe in God's existence, but to trust in God's goodness for us and his grace for us. And this morning, I'd like to tweak our question just a little bit to ask this. How does grace change us? How does trusting in God's grace help us to see the nail, help us to recognize that rivers sometimes move, help us to look for, as the song said this morning, mind for the solution to our real problem. So in the fourth chapter of John, Jesus is purposely, he walks through another area. It's um, next to ancient Israel. It's an area, a land called Samaria. 
And he walks through this area on purpose, and he stops at a well, and he strikes up this conversation with a woman. Now, there are all kinds of things wrong with this scene. As a Jewish man, Jesus should not have been in Samaria. He should not have been talking to a Samaritan or any woman, uh, and in particular, this woman who was an outcast even from her own community. So with that kind of setup, this is what the Bible says in John chapter 4. Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Well, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you, are, you now have is not your husband. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time will come, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. A time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Now, as always, there is so much here that we could look at and explore for weeks, right? Um, we, so many things to wonder about. And I, I'd like to invite us to focus just on a few things that, I, that are happening here that I think give us some clues to how grace does change us. And the first one is this, we'll call it, um, what is the nature of grace? Because I think we can see that in this encounter. We don't have time to go into all of the cultural realities here, but as I hinted at a, a second ago, this conversation should have never happened at all. It's like me as a freshman at Lakeshore High School trying to uh, hit on Michelle Larson, the senior uh, cheerleading captain. It was not gonna happen, okay? It's like people looked and it was like, no, don't even think, I was four foot 11, it's not gonna happen, okay? So any Jew or Samaritan that were, came upon this scene would be like, what the heck, this is, there's something way wrong. Uh, they're like totally confused by this scene. And the point is that when Jesus strikes up this conversation with this woman, he is breaking so many cultural, so many moral, so many religious norms. Like, again, people would be short-circuiting watching this scene unfold. She's the wrong nationality. She's the wrong gender, the wrong race, the wrong religion, and the list goes on. The wrong profession. Like, there is no realm in which Jesus should be having a conversation with this woman. He should even be there at all. Now, last week we talked about how the 12 disciples were kind of like, 12 guys at the bottom of the barrel for one reason or another of every way that the, the ancient Jews would have measured people, okay? But here, unbelievably, Jesus has found someone that even these 12 look down on. They're like, jeez, Jesus, how low can you go? Basically is what they're doing, right? And so, and here's what happens. He reaches right through all of these barriers all of these norms, all of the, 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 all of the constraints that good and decent people have put on society and on people to keep people in their proper place, to keep people pure, to keep the, the wrong people out, he reaches right through all of that to talk with this woman. Not to talk at her, not to preach at her, but to have a conversation with her in depth. Now here's the thing. 
Jesus, in this scene, is living out. He is embodying the gospel of grace. This is the first thing to notice about how the gospel of grace changes us. It's in the nature of grace, and it's this. It is the gift of God. It is a gift. If Jesus' life-changing power was something that you have to earn or achieve or attain, it would favor people who were the right, you know, fill-in-the-blank. Race, gender, religion, temperament. It would give an inside track to those of us who are, like, morally put together or spiritual or disciplined or intelligent or wise or strong or whatever. But that isn't the nature of grace. The nature of grace is that it is a gift, period, full stop. If God's life-changing power was a reward for being a certain way or a certain kind of person, not everyone would have equal access to it. It would disqualify some and it would privilege others. If you think that there is too much bias in our society, if you think that there's, there's too much privilege in our society, it was way, way, way worse in this time, okay? There was bias and privilege everywhere, simply by, again, by gender, class, your last name. It just, so deep, so prevalent and unquestioned. No one challenging that at all. Yet here is Jesus breaking every rule, crossing every barrier, jumping over every line, because the nature of grace, God's love and acceptance, his forgiveness and affection, is a gift. It's a gift. This isn't just something Jesus talked about. He actually lived it out. And we see it here with this Samaritan woman. He is living it out. He's a living demonstration of the grace of God. You know, over the years, I've had more than one person tell me um, I'm not religious and here's why and then the list is long right there's all kinds of reasons most of which I agree with about you know I don't think of myself as religious either but but here's one that I hear very often I'm not religious because it's like it is so judgmental it's so judgmental and I, I get it believe me I understand how someone could pick that up there are times when people who are speaking for God get on some kind of soapbox or on some kind of stage and they say, this is how it is, this is who's in, this is who's out, this is what's right, this is what's wrong, this is what's good, this is what's bad, and they use all of that to start dividing people into groups. They're in, they're out. You know, telling us everything that we should ha we have to know have to believe the way to vote all these kinds of things and then they use like if you don't they use that shame as a weapon they weaponize it and exclude people they take from people what it is that we know that we one of the things we need most which is belonging they leverage that against them to try to control folks that's what it is so i get it when that's that's everything that comes with this package of religion is judgmental but but here's the thing to, to, I think, if we're honest, we have to confront this when it comes to Jesus. That isn't what he's like at all. When it comes to Jesus and us, the only one doing the judging and the excluding and the rejecting is us. It's not him. Grace is a gift. It's offered to everyone, everywhere, every day, all the time, always, in all ways. The second thing that I think that we see going on in this encounter, and the second thing to wonder about is the pace of grace. And I, I wonder if our, my teenage friend, notice I'm rhyming here. We'll see if he gets that in his next. See, you see what I'm doing? This is hard, okay? The pace of grace. So notice this, all right? It isn't instant. It isn't magical. It's gradual. And now there's alliteration in there too. See? It's like spinning it on my finger up here. Anyways, but I, look at how patient, look at how patient Jesus is with this woman. He's talking about living water, and she says, that sounds great, I'll have some. Then he's like, well, go get your husband, and then she launches into, hey, what's the right religion? 
like, can you drop a bigger bomb into a conversation? It's like when somebody's asking you, you know, are you guys going to get married at all? And it's like, how about that Donald Trump? You know, it's like, you know, what can we do to avoid talking about this thing? That's what she's doing right here. This is just a smoke screen. She doesn't want to talk about her real life, her problem, capital P. But Jesus is like patiently listens to her. This isn't, I, here's what I want us to notice. This isn't like a take it or leave it moment. Turn or burn confrontation. Jesus is having a real conversation with this woman. She is given space and the time to think it through, to think about it, to consider it, to soak it in. There's a beautiful psalm in the Old Testament of the Bible. And part of it kind of, I think, describes, the psalmist is describing how he feels God is treating him. This is what it says. I must seem so stupid and so ignorant to you, God. But even so, you love me. You're always holding my right hand. You will keep guiding me all of my life with your wisdom and counsel. Whom have I in heaven but you? And I desire no one on earth as much as you. My health fails, my spirits droop, yet God remains. He is the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Grace. Grace is gradual. We want faith to change things instantly. That's what we want. Oh, I wasn't believing. Now I'm believing. Well, this should be changing, right? And when it doesn't change us at that pace, at the pace that we want, we're tempted to give up. I know I am. I know a lot of people who have. Well, gosh, I started believing in God and pff, not much happened. When it, and, and my, my goodness, when it doesn't change others, have you watched other people? They come to faith, they start to believe, and you're like, okay, let's see what happens now, right? It's like, um, I'll give them two days to figure this out, right? Oh, boy, when, when that doesn't happen, when someone in our life has faith, talks about God, says, I'm trying to trust in God, and their life's not perfect, man, that is like carte blanche. I, my excuse, this is a joke. Yeah, no, no way. But think about it. Th that isn't how people, people change or grow. We are living beings, and all living beings grow slowly. I mean, how, how fast can you grow a pile of rocks? Pretty fast. Back up a truck, boom, it's done. Right? Went from one rock to a big pile of rocks. Because that kind of growth is mechanical. You just work harder. You work faster. But growth in life, growth in real life, that's very different. My daughter is home for this summer and has started a, quite a few projects at our house that I am so happy about. <laughs> and um, one of them, I am, I am, I'm actually very happy and appreciative, and so, and broke. But anyways, we're starting all these projects, and one of them is, she planted a garden on our deck, a raised bed garden, and it's beautiful, it's awesome. Um, I don't like vegetables, but whatever. Okay, so, now here's the thing. How fast is she growing that garden? And the answer is, not very. Because real growth in living things is organic. It's organic. It's not mechanical. It's organic. It happens gradually. So I think two, at least two things that we could be wondering about when we watch Jesus in Samaria with this woman at this well is that grace is for everyone. It is for everyone Everywhere, every day, all the time, always, in always, because it is a gift. It is a gift. There's nothing about you that disqualifies you. There's nothing about someone else that privileges them. It's a gift. But it's also organic. Because it's an actual, real, organic, living force in us for us 
And we grow and change slowly, painfully slowly sometimes, right? You have to ask my wife about me. It's like she's waiting. It's almost 30 years now. What, when is, is anything going to happen here, right? All right, one last thing to, to wonder about here with grace, and that is the aim of grace. And I needed another word here that starts with G to show off to my friend that tries to summarize my talks. And so let's go with grounded. You see what I'm doing there? All right. Um, as, so grace is grounded as in it deals with us at like the ground level, the foundational level, our, our deepest selves, our hearts. So biologically, I looked this up this week, so this was on the internet, I think it's got to be true. Um, we are 60% water. The human body is 60% water. Um, now, that is why when we go without water, we get thirsty. We get thirsty. And if we are dehydrated, we start to malfunction. We get desperate for water. If we don't get water at all, we die. We die. When Jesus offers this woman living water, so that she'll never thirst again, he is saying, I have something for you that is as important to your heart, to your soul, as water is to your body. Our bodies desperately desire water because we are made of water. And our hearts crave God for the same reason. Because we are made by God, for God, in his image. Which is why one ancient writer, one of my favorite ancient writers, described the human condition this way. Our hearts are restless until they rest in you. So when this woman says, hey, yeah, Jesus, give me this living water. That sounds great. Um, he says, go and get your husband. Kind of think that is a strange reaction that Jesus is a response. Like, but here's the thing. Jesus isn't changing the subject. He's not changing the subject. Jesus is saying, you've been drinking from many wells and none of them have quenched your thirst. You've had five husbands, now you've got a boyfriend. You've built so many bridges to nowhere, you don't know where you're at. And you've, you have gotten nowhere. And, and you, just, you can't see the nail. Your problem in life isn't men and your hope in life shouldn't be romance. Or any other good thing. And by the way, uh, for, for uh, different people, it's different things, right? It could be success. It could be our vocation. It could be our family. It could be whatever. And for this woman, it happened to be romance. And by the way, those are good things. There's nothing wrong with them. But they can't quench our thirst at the deepest level of who we are. <laughs> One day I tried uh, methamphetamine. Okay. And I thought, this is what's been missing. It's all complete. Today's a good day. And I've been huh? chasing that high ever since. No matter how much meth or whatever else I can find to shoot up into my body, I do, it's never enough. And went to a couple of rehabs, I detoxed, they would talk about disease, sure. But it never clicked. Until one day I woke up in a hospital and someone asked me, what's your problem? And I said, I'm an alcoholic and an addict. And he said, no, that's how you've been treating your problem. Mm -hmm. That's right. I know now I need to find a way to fill this big black hole in me. Anyway, so I'm 14 months clean. I have a job at a rehab. Fulfilling to help other people get sober. I have a sponsor, Spencer. Shows me how great my life can be, sober. 
and um, I still have a family. My mom's been amazing. My dad's been amazing, too. I want them to be proud of me. What is this black hole inside of us? What is our problem, capital P? Jesus seems to be su suggesting it is our parched hearts. That's the nail. Trying to quench this thirst at the wrong wells leads us into all kinds of other problems in life and their bridges built to nowhere. So here's the thing. We all know we have to change. We all know that. We have to change. We have to grow. We have to mature. We're living beings. And the ancient way to change was to overcome our desires, like what, what it is that we really want in life and out of life. And how do we do that? We did it with just sheer willpower. We would use some technique or discipline, a rule or a religion to strong arm ourselves into acting or living in a way that really deep down inside we did not want to live. But this leaves us repressed and resentful. And we have two choices when you're stuck in that game. It's like you either have to pretend to be perfect, like you're getting it right, and like this is fun. And in the meantime, you become self-righteous and judgmental, maybe even exclusionary when, when the pretending's going well. Or if the pretending's not going well, you just die in a pile. Because I, I was too weak. I gave in. I couldn't hack it. But the modern formula for changing and growing and maturing isn't even, it's not any better. It's just to give in to our desires. It's to, and this path just creates chaos in our life because our hearts are all over the place. One day they want to go this direction, one day they want to go that direction. A new storm comes and our river moves. And the life that we built doesn't work anymore Across the floor. 
call the first half of the prophetic voice so so many songs like this one by james bay or like um, so many films like the one we just saw a clip from it's called beautiful boy depict this so powerfully the first half of the prophetic voice what they're doing is they're pointing out that modern life is so often a bridge to nowhere did you catch some of these lines in this song there's no force on earth that could make me feel right. Trying to push this problem up a hill when it's just too heavy to hold. I think now it's the time to just let it slide. Or this stanza. If this is all we're living for, why are we doing it anymore? I used to recognize myself. It's funny how reflections change when we're becoming something else. I think it's time to walk away. Th this is James Bay who wrote this song saying... I'm still so thirsty. I'm still so thirsty. This isn't working. The second half of the prophetic voice points us, I think, in a better direction. The Bible puts it this way. For my people have done two wrongs. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have built for themselves broken cisterns that can't hold water that's the problem when jesus offers us living water he's offering it to change us at the ground level at our hearts that is what it is that we want what we desire do, do you see how that could change everything else if that were to happen C.S. Lewis put it this way. It's a very interesting take on this. He said, in the end, everyone gets what they want. That wasn't him saying, isn't that great news? It's a warning. That sounds great at first until we realize, if we all get what we want, I'm only ever going to be as satisfied, as fulfilled, as the quality of what I want. Maybe... That's why these were the first recorded words of Jesus to the very first people who took the very first steps in following him. Remember, a few weeks ago, he turns around and he says, what do you want? The living water Jesus is offering us is ultimately himself. He says to this woman, I am he. He tells her, he, he, he is saying, he is saying only a trusting relationship with me and, and the grace, the living water I'm offering you, only with that as the goal in your life, only that can quench our thirst because when we drink from that well, this gift begins to gradually change our deepest desires and our true love to what is truly worth wanting. Grace is a gift. It's gradual and it is grounded in who we really are and in who God really is. And this is how it changes us. Grace is the living water that we're being offered. Jesus is this grace and he is offering to be our bridge into a flourishing future. Not where we're instantaneously perfect or not where things are magically delicious, but where life regardless of the nail or the shifting rivers feels like it is going somewhere 
good. With someone good. When you're weary Feeling small When tears are in Your eyes I will try them all I'm on your side Oh, when times get
so good, Michael. Thank you. So today is my daughter Jenna's 23rd birthday. Happy birthday, sweets. I know, 23. How did that happen? My goodness. Years ago, I mentioned that because years ago we did this song, Bridge Over Troubled Water, and Jenna was probably in junior high at the time. And afterwards she said, Dad, that last song, I think that could be a hit. <laughs> I think you're right, sweets. Look, it's not just because it's hauntingly beautiful, but because it's both halves of the prophetic voice. It reminds us not only that there, there is something wrong. There are troubled waters out there. Rivers move. There are nails that we can't see. But there's also someone here with us, for us, who intends to do something about our real problem by quenching our parched hearts with his gradual and grounded gift of grace. May we all drink deeply. I'd like to close this morning with a prayer that's actually a poem. Its title is number 39. It's by Rabindranath Tagore. It won the Nobel Prize in 1912. Let's pray. Jesus, when the heart is hard and parched up, come upon me with a shower of mercy. When grace is lost from life, come with a burst of song. When tumultuous work raises its din on all sides, study me out from beyond, come to me, my Lord of silence, with thy peace and rest. When my beggarly heart sits crouched, shut up in a corner, break open the door and come with the ceremony of a king. When desire blinds the mind with delusion and dust, O Holy One, Thou wakeful one, come with Thy light and with Thy thunder. Jesus, as we leave this morning, we ask that You would help us to grow and remain open, alert, expectant, and dependent on you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for coming, folks. Have a wonderful day.